name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This week, at Mass every day, I'm sure you've noticed if you go to daily Mass, that we've been reading the letter of Paul to the Galatians. And the other day, the Spirit just came over me and showed me something that is so visible regarding St. Paul <clears throat> Everything that's in the simple path to union, the whole concept of suffering with Christ, all of that, we have in gratitude because it became the teaching, the passion, and the suffering of witness of St. Paul's life. I'm going to start reading the letter and then stopping along the way and pointing out things to you. This is the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Father, Father, hold on a second, because I didn't know you were going to read the Bible. I have to get a copy here of the Bible myself. Then. No, please. Unless, you, unless you read really slow. And... No, get Galatians. Get it in front of you. Okay, what is it? Chapter 1? What are you doing? Chapter, the letter of Paul to the Galatians, chapter 1. Chapter 1. Okay, I'm there. Él está leyendo Galatas, capítulo 1. Father, we hear you. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. This is very important. Paul knows his identity. For two weeks we've been stressing identity. Paul identifies himself as an apostle. But now think about this. Jesus had already been crucified. The eleven apostles were all personally, well, the 12 apostles counting Judas, were all personally invited and given that special title of apostle by Jesus Christ himself. Now Jesus is crucified, risen from the dead. But here comes someone who says, I too am an apostle, but not from men. In other words, no ordinary man in the church of that time, which was just beginning to grow, invited Paul to be an apostle. We need 
to get this. And Paul wants everybody who he knows in his circle of friends, the people here that he's writing to, and everybody else, he also wants them to know it. He's not being boastful. He's very important for him to make his identity clear. So he says, not from men, nor through men. So it wasn't somebody else invited him through men. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So this is awesome. Because Paul could only know this from a revelation of God himself. Paul could make this up. He would be living a lie. He would not be living his identity. He'd be a fake saint. So once he gets that very clear, he goes on to talk that he's very much astonished to hear because Paul stays in contact with all these little communities, with the churches. And he's astonished to hear that this community is deserting him who called you in grace. That this community is falling away from the truth of Jesus Christ and turning to a different gospel. And he says, not that there is a different gospel. So, where is the problem? Paul identifies the problem. He says, but there are some trouble makers who want to pervert you from the gospel of Christ. So who are these troublemakers? They are the hardcore Jews who don't want this sect of Christianity to grow. They want everything to be controlled by the Temple of Jerusalem, and they want every convert to Christianity to keep the Judean, the Judean laws of, and traditions. If I could compare it to something, it would be like, here I am in a Cuban household, and they want me just to be totally Cuban, to forget that I am Polish American. <laughs> so they were destroying Paul's work in bringing him into union with Christ by trying to change them into something they were not called to be. And they fell for it. 
that. And why? Because they were just new kids on the block who were just coming into Christianity. So Paul then takes the time not only to call them back into the truth, but he points out to them why they were trapped. He said, even if an angel from heaven would come, that you can't pay attention to him. As we have said before, we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive from me, let it be accursed. I mean, that, that is strong language, but Paul can't be more emphatic enough because he has had it up to here. Paul is suffering horrendously because those outside forces are coming and destroying all his work. And then he tells them something. Am I doing this now? Seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. So he is very emphatic in letting him know that he's totally dedicated to Christ. And this was another interesting thing about Paul. As an apostle, Paul kept the day job. What was his day job? Paul made tents for a living. Want to go camping? Go buy your tent for Paul. The apostles had vocations to fish and be tax collectors. They left all that. Paul clung to his work and he took it everywhere he went. He took up the trade of being a tent maker. Why? He was insistent on supporting himself and not depending upon the community to support him. But he was very good about something. He said, I have no problem that others who preached you are supported by you. He said, in fact, they deserve it. But I'm doing my thing. I like making tents, and I'm going to stick to making tents. And the reason he wanted this independence was because this way they could not accuse him of preaching the gospel. That who could not accuse him? Who was he concerned about? Those Jews from Jerusalem who were coming and trying to destroy his work those are the ones he had in mind. He wasn't afraid of his little community because he would even take up collections from his communities to support other communities. He was trying to defy and to withstand the attacks of those coming from 
temple of Jerusalem. So he's giving them a strong argument, argument as to why they should listen to him and not to the outsiders. Brother, he goes on to say, I would have you know that the gospel was preached by me is not mine. It's not man's. I didn't get it from a man, nor was I taught it. Now, this is the big, really, the big divide between Paul, an apostle, and all the other apostles. All the other apostles were taught by Jesus Christ. Parables, taking them aside, explaining things to them. One of this is, I'm going to um, remind you of something because we've talked, we've talked about it in Cenacles. Jesus takes his three buddies, three top apostles up to Mount Tabor, Peter, James, and John. On the way down, he starts telling Peter about his crucifixion and his death. And what does Peter say that gets Christ so angry? Peter said, oh, no, don't talk about crucifixion. Don't talk about the sinful path to union. That's what he's saying. Don't talk about my being united to you. And if this death die, give me a break. And Jesus is so upset. He calls him Satan. Tarsus. 
And in those 15 years, what's going on? Christ is feeding Paul. Christ is teaching Paul. That's what's going on. And then when Paul is finally called by Barnabas to come to Antioch to start helping out, then Paul begins to expound what he has learned from Jesus Christ. And he tells you, I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. So the other apostles didn't teach him this. The reality is they didn't even grasp it. Just like some join the Love Crucified community and they never get it. The apostles had the toughest time getting it. That should make us all feel good. <laughs> <laughs> He tells us, it came from a revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I now, here we go back to identity. This is so important for us to understand how important our own identity is in relation to how important Paul makes his identity. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So he he's boasting, but he's not really boasting because it's a fact that he studied, under, he studied under Galileo, who was like the top-notch professor of the Harvard School of Judaism. He became the top-notch student. He probably would have been taking Galileo's place if he hadn't been called to Christianity after Galileo passed away. Paul would have been the number one theologian in all of Jerusalem and in all of Israel. That's how well he excelled. Not only did he excel, but now he says something else very important. He said, I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers that he lived the life to perfection, keeping every little detail of the law. He was a saint in his own day, if the law could have made you a saint. Then he says, but when he who set me apart before I was born, now you see, what else does Paul recognize? Something that we have to recognize as well. 
each and every one of us who are in the Catholic faith, who are in Love Crucified, we were given this vocation, this gift of faith, before we were born. He called us through grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So now Paul is recognizing why God granted him this grace. Because now God wants something back from him. He wants him to preach Christ crucified. God wants something back from us. He wants us to live as victim souls. So there's a give and take here going on with Paul, and he's putting it up front. He said, I did not confer with flesh and blood. He's always going back to flesh and blood, meaning, he says, ordinary men. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He didn't even try to impress Peter or looking for James or looking for John. This is very, very, it could sound boastful, but he wants you to know that he did not go. You know how I remember once taking a convert to meet the Holy Father, and the first thing she said is, I'm a convert. Paul could have ran to Jerusalem and said, oh, I had a vision. And I know Christ is, is the Messiah now. And Peter, I come here to Jerusalem to tell all of you apostles about it. He didn't do that. Imagine. He didn't do it, and he's telling you he didn't do it. He didn't care about them. Why? You say, well, why did he care about them? Because he knew that he had been set apart, he had a different mission, and he surrendered his will. He surrendered all of his previous desires, he totally surrendered and turned himself over to seeking the divine will. So he was totally caught up now in doing what God wanted him to do. And of course, he was transformed by the Holy Spirit. Why could he be transformed by the Holy Spirit? Because he died to himself with the same passion that he lived for Judaism, now with an even greater passion, he's living for Christ. And that's what he's telling us by comparing the two lives. He's telling us, boy, I was number one there, and now I'm going to be number one here. But when he was number one in Judaism, it was by showing off, being the best fake saint in the community. But now he's number one in Catholicism and following the Messiah and following Christ. 
And what happens? Scourgings, imprisonment, and all the stuff we read about. But he did it to such a point that he was excited if he was arrested in prison. That is how intense his love and his faith was. So he, he said, again, as I told you, he went away to Arabia and he returned to Damascus. Then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem and then again, he disappears. So he makes, he gives us his background history. He says, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He said, that's all people really knew about me. But they, they used to talk behind my back, I'm sure, saying, you know what? He's the one that persecuted us. Now look at him. And they glorified God because of me. When they saw the change in Paul, what did they do? They praised God. They glorified God because of it. He says, then after 14 years, I again went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. And I went up. Why did he go up? Now he's telling us why he goes back up to Jerusalem. By revelation. Christ is in, in his kingdom. But he's still in very intense communication with Paul. He's giving Paul revelations. And Paul is grasping everything. And the others hadn't gotten it yet. He says, and now I, he said, I went up and I laid before them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Now, he's telling them what he's preaching. He's, he's preaching Christ crucified. Very intently. He's also doing something else. All those, that circumcision business and all of that, no more. He throws away his knife and he says, circumcision is useless. Well, this is very interesting. Does he convert Peter and all of those apostles that are still hung up on circumcision? and keeping some of the Jewish traditions. No, he doesn't even try to convert them here. He just says, I'm going to do my thing. It wasn't, he wasn't called to change them at this point. He says, I'm going to go back and do my thing. And I'm laying it on the table. I want your approval. So the humility of it, because he knows that Peter is the head of the church. He knows it by revelation. So he lays out on the table what his plan is and how he's going to operate. And it's not going to resemble what they're doing in Jerusalem. 
They say, okay. They say, go ahead. Go and do your thing. But then he goes, Paul, here's Paul's problem again. He says, but because of false brethren secretly, notice this, secretly, how does the devil operate? Always in secret. Because of false brethren brought secretly in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To them, we did not yield submission even for a moment. So you see how the devil was trying to destroy his work? How the devil did not want people to be aware that they should be one with the victim. He says that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's telling the Galatians, this is what I did to protect the truth for you. They don't have the truth. And he's not ashamed to say it. He has the pure truth. And there's only one truth. And we'll come to that. Because there reaches a point where Paul said, no, I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm going to withstand Peter to his face and tell him this circumcision business has got to be put down in a letter. It's got to be done with forever. And that became known as the first consul of Jerusalem. Today we're celebrating the feast of, of John the 23rd. We started the Vatican, first Vatican Council. Well, there were 18 or 19 before that, and the first one was this one that all initiated in Jerusalem. Father Jordy probably knows how many councils have we had so far? Oh, she can't hear it. Yes, you can. Okay. Can you hear how many councils do we have? Have we had 19, 20? Well, we'll tell them another day. <laughs> so. He's probably looking at it, trying to find it. Search. So, we're going to end here, but the bottom line is that in all of this, you have to see something. When you're reading the letters of Paul, and you should go back to read them, that every letter contains a reference to Christ crucified and how he lives his life for Christ crucified. How he lives no longer for himself, but for Christ. It's just repeated and repeated and repeated. So I say we could call Simple Path Union a modern-day version put into practice of the teachings of St. Paul. Maybe we could someday even put that on the cover of the book and people who love St. Paul would probably buy the book just 
by seeing that on the cover of a book. And you yourself will discover what I'm talking about if you take the time this week to read those letters. Praise God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This First. conference will now be recorded. <laughs> <laughs> one more great point to notice is Paul is the first one to speak about transformation. And for us in Love Crucified, transformation into life of the Holy Spirit is so necessary for us to live what we assimilate. There has to be a transformation. And Paul repeats that over and over. I just want to read something that he wrote to the Romans. Mark Mullet mentioned it today. Mark Mullet's either ahead of us or with us. And this is what he wrote today. Paul writes, do not be transformed to this world. Conform, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove that is what is the will of God. So what is he? What is Paul saying here? He says you're transformed. Your mind is transformed when you are focused on living in the divine will. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 2. He is the only apostle talks about the battle of the mind, the battle for the mind. Where do we get in trouble? All in the mind. So everything is here in Paul. And Paul is the only apostle that talks about by his wounds we have been healed. We talk about the healing of our wounds. The healing of our disorders. It all comes from what Paul has given us through revelation. Thank you. Thank you, Father.